Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And here we go on a Monday. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for joining us as we kick off a new week. Get ready to wrap up the month of September this week. Hope you had a good weekend. Lots to talk about today. Last week was a busy week. This looks to be another busy week as well. We'll be talking harvest weather with DTN on today's program. Lots to talk about with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. We'll talk about the introduction of the Next Generation Fuels Act. And we'll also be talking about a new report out showing the economic harm done to the biofuels industry by COVID-19. We'll be talking about those issues and more with Jeff Cooper. And we're going to get a harvest update from eastern Nebraska. Greg Anderson will check in. We'll find out how his harvest is going and what's going on in that part of the world. All that coming up on today's program. Thanks for letting us be part of your day, and we're happy to have with us to kick things off Spencer Chase from AgriPulse Communications. Spencer, good to talk with you. This should be, as I said, another interesting week. It could be the make-or-break week uh, for another COVID aid package. What are you hearing? So on that front, uh, it's important to keep in mind that Congress will typically, in an election year, take uh, basically the month of October off. They'll go back home and uh, hit the campaign trail or do a district work period for for those that uh, don't really have a re-election race. But uh, keep in mind uh, that uh, it's basically going to start this week. And so uh, once uh, once folks get out of town, um, you know, after this week uh, comes to an end, that means they're really not going to be in town for any kind of negotiations to take place uh, for the next couple of weeks. And so that while that doesn't necessarily put the nail in the coffin for any kind of coronavirus relief package at all, it would make it, uh, you know, extremely difficult to pass anything before the election. They'd have to probably bring everyone back into town for a vote. Uh, they'd also have to maintain some kind of a negotiating posture during this month. And when uh, the uh, Congress, uh, especially House Democrats and the Trump administration, are going to be at odds over a Supreme Court fight. So really, this week is going to be very critical if they're looking to get any kind of relief, including relief for agriculture and uh, you know potentially more money for some direct payments uh, for producers hit by the coronavirus. We know there have been discussions, but are there... Are they at all close on a figure? Have they reached a compromise figure even on the spending amount? No, they're, uh, you know, at last check, they're still about, uh, you know, just a measly trillion dollars apart. So if they can, uh, if they can break, bridge that gap, they might get there. But, you know, I, I don't have to tell you or your listeners that a trillion dollars is a lot of money. And uh, trying to come up, uh, you know, and, and bridge the differences between those two amounts, it's, uh, it's, it's, really, uh, it's really a Herculean task. But meanwhile, there is money going out. CFAP continues one and two. Right. The, we are in, in the midst of the sign-up for the second round of the coronavirus food assistance program, you know, very similar to the first round, uh, but uh, includes more commodities, includes a bit of a tweak in the formula and addresses some of that, uh, the cliff, as Secretary Purdue has called it, for, uh, for beef cattle, for instance, on uh, switching from sales to inventory in mid-April. And so a lot of producers able to take advantage of that. I was speaking with one last night who said the, the sign-up went fairly well. So, uh, you know, obviously that's something we're continuing to watch because uh, in the original CFAP that was budgeted to be a $16 billion program. Uh, obviously the payments did not quite uh, amount to that much money, 
And so we're we're keeping a close eye on how much uh, CFAP2 money is going out the door and whether or not it's going to, uh, you know, amount to the full $13 billion that USDA has budgeted. Mm-hmm. So we're also watching, and I'm going to be talking with Jeff Cooper about this a little bit later, the introduction of this Next Generation Fuels Act, which basically raises uh, the requirement for octane levels in, the, in our fuel supply, in our gasoline. Um, what are the chances of that passing it would probably not be anytime soon i'm guessing but uh long range what are you hearing well this is something and we, we saw a similar uh, kind of a similar strategy uh last week in in the senate with uh with the senator introducing uh legislation and having a markup to rework the endangered species act basically any bill that's uh, dropped at this point you know we're, we're late september in election year uh and pretty much uh they're They're basically done with legislating uh, up until the election. And after the election, uh, you know, goal one, two and three is going to be avoiding government shutdown and then going home for Christmas. And so they're really not going to be looking to pass any kind of uh, extra legislation between now and the end of the year. What they're doing by dropping bills at this point is looking to, you know, kind of gauge public feedback, gauge member feedback and see what level of support they might be able to get. And keep in mind, the Senate could change uh, control in uh, in you know, 2021 after the election. And so does uh, potentially a Democratic Senate, is that more receptive to changes uh, changes in renewable fuels policy? Some might argue that it would be. So anything that's dropping at this point is definitely a marker bill for future consideration. Yeah, you're trying to build some momentum. and But as you said, everything could change. So you, it, you might have to start all over. You never know. So that's uh, mm-hmm. going to be a challenge. What are you hearing on, you know, there are the farm groups, uh, saying that we need to stay in the WTO, and meanwhile there have been WTO concerns over our our farm payments. Um, what do you think? And again, a lot could depend on the election on this one too. But uh, you see this becoming a bigger debate: our membership of the WTO as we move forward. Well, and, and it kind of goes back to uh, you know from the very very beginning, even in his days as a as a Capitol Hill staffer. Uh, Robert Lighthizer, who is now the U.S. Trade Representative, has had some issues with just the, the functional work of the WTO. You know, as he puts it, we've turned a, a regulatory body into a judicial body, and that's something that he he just is not a fan of. And right now, the U.S. is kind of playing hardball with uh, some nomination tactics at the WTO. They're looking to install a new director general, looking to install some new appellate judges, and the U.S. has been blocking pretty much everything in order to get uh, consideration for uh, what Lighthizer and, by extension, the Trump administration see as these big issues with the WTO. And so right now they're at that stage. They haven't you know, done any kind of formal official work to withdraw from the WTO, but there were media reports that President Trump was, was interested in, in considering it. And so the, uh, you know, if you want to make ag groups nervous, start talking about uh, potential trade restrictions because that's exactly what happened. They all uh, were very quick to form a letter, and I, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but there was, you know, almost any farm group in the country was signed on to that thing. They're all very, very nervous about the possibility of uh, leaving the WTO because keep in mind, the WTO has actually been, by and large, very good for American agriculture. They've won far more cases than they've lost. And they've been able to take advantage of pretty good trade, uh, pretty, pretty good trade status in other countries as a result. Yeah, usually when the rulings are in our favor, most people think, well, it's pretty good that we're in it. And when the rulings do go against us, uh, then it's kind of, oh, why are we in this at all? But as you said, if you, you have yeah. to look at the overall record for it, 
Although I think one of the criticisms has also been, you know, um, like if the ruling goes against China, do they abide by it or do they just ignore it or delay it or whatever? So I think there's always that. It's It's been controversial being in it. It would be controversial if we got out of it. So that's kind of the nature right. of uh, world well, trade. Well, and I think even the staunchest supporters of the WTO would admit that it does have its issues. But I think they're they're also hoping that the administration will recognize that the issues might uh, might drastically outweigh the uh, or underweigh the benefits. Yep, it's something to watch. So that's for sure. Spencer, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it, Mike. Take care, Spencer Chase with AgriPulse Communications. All right, some uh, rain moved across parts of the Midwest. How widespread? How much? Impact on harvest, we'll talk about that next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. There's a reason more than a billion feet of ADS farm tile lies beneath America's heartland. It's simple. We build trust. Since 1966, farmers and their families have trusted ADS products to improve yields and create longer growing seasons. From lift stations to water control structures, ADS Agriculture has everything you need for total ag water management solutions. For everyone out there feeding the world, we wish you all a safe and happy harvest. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, EPA Administrator Wheeler has declared atrazine management tools safe for continued use in controlling weeds. As we talk with Gary Marshall, CEO of the Missouri Corn Growers and chair of the Triazine Network, uh, this is an important step, isn't it? It's a seven-year process. The good news is EPA followed the science and they made the right decision. I have often said I can't think of any other product that has been reviewed as many times as atrazine has been over the years. The product's been around for 70 years. It has more than 7,000 studies that the EPA has taken a look at over time. Numerous science advisory panel meetings by the EPA, some of the best scientists in the world reviewing the product. And the good news is they've determined that the product is safe. So that leaves another major, major tool in the farmer's toolbox to help control weeds in corn, grain sorghum, and in a variety of other crops. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with Geeks On Site. Our geeks literally come on site. No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. 
Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk weather. Sitting in for DTN's Bryce Anderson. This week is John Baranek. And, John, thank you for joining us. A little rain through the Midwest uh, in the last few hours. Uh, how widespread? How, what are some of the uh, totals that you're seeing? Yeah, totals right now aren't too bad. They're more on the order of a, of a quarter of an inch for most areas. Uh, some areas in Illinois got a little bit more than that, uh, a half inch. And uh, further west got a little bit more than that as well. But for the most part, it's around a half inch. Or a quarter of Yeah, I think in my area in West Central Illinois, looking at a half to three quarters, uh, depending on just where you're at. But uh, first precipitation in a while. It's been a pretty long stretch uh, of uninterrupted uh, harvest weather. Will this just be a brief uh, uh, slowdown and then get right back to it, or is there more rain in the forecast? For most of the area, this is going to be pretty brief. Uh, front moves through by tomorrow morning. And uh, we may see some isolated showers across northern areas, um, in Michigan, uh, through the remainder of the week. But those look to be more nuisance showers than anything that would disrupt the water. So just kind of a break, and in some cases, uh, uh, kind of a needed break, because it had been a pretty long stretch of uninterrupted uh, days, as I mentioned, some long hours, so a chance for a break, catch your breath, and go again. What about temperatures? Looks like it, uh, it's going to be uh, considerably cooler now. Yeah, this uh, this front here is ushering in uh, a, quite a bit of a pattern change. We'll be seeing cooler temperatures fill in across the majority of the country east of the Rockies here uh, for the next 10 days or so. So temperatures, uh, especially across the north, we'll see some uh, frost and freezes start popping back up here, probably around this Thursday, uh, and then moving its way into the weekend as well. So uh, much cooler than we've been seeing over the last uh, couple weeks. Of course, we're also moving into October, so that's to be expected. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we're getting close to the normal time for frost and freezes, for especially in those northern areas. So we're we're watching uh, the, the La Nina pattern develop. Uh, what are your thoughts on La Nina and what that means for us here through this fall and into winter? Yeah, so La Nina is really kind of taking its grip uh, on the uh, equatorial Pacific. Uh, we're definitely in the La Nina category, and models continue to have us dive further into a stronger uh, La Nina here through the fall, and continuing all the way through the winter. Um, we start to see some relaxing of that in probably February and March, uh, but we'll, we'll stay in the La Nina pattern all the way through this winter uh, and probably the early spring. Usually what that means for us, uh, on the northern side of the country, it's cooler and wetter. We usually see clippers uh, fairly frequently during that time period. Uh, and over the south, for the Delta and the, the southeast, southern states, southern plains, more of a drier and warmer pattern. Concerns about next year's uh, growing season perhaps being very dry. Is that a part of La Nina? 
Yeah, absolutely, especially in the plains there. Uh, we have a, you know, the, the southern plains really count on uh, some, some wetter weather over the uh, late winter and early spring uh, to kick things off for, for wheat. And if, uh, if the long union patterns continues as expected, uh, we would expect a lot drier conditions over there and expansion of drought and dryness across that area. Uh, towards the Midwest, kind of a mixed bag. Uh, we'll, we're expecting to see more precipitation, but colder air is likely to stick around into March and April, and that might give us a, a later start on our planting season. We're talking with DTM meteorologist John Baranek sitting in this week for uh, Bryce Anderson. John, uh, La Nina also has an impact uh, on South America. What do you see there? Yeah, unfortunately for them in Brazil especially, uh, it usually leads to a, a delayed start in their wet season. Typically that starts around September 26th where they get their first inch of rainfall in Mato Grosso, but that has yet to occur. They had some showers last week, but it didn't really do much of anything for them. Uh, and unfortunately, pretty dry to start out the month of October as well. I don't see much in terms of precipitation happening there uh, through at least the 10th of October. Uh, that's already delaying soybean planting for them, and it's going to disrupt their safrina corn cotton season come uh, their summer and fall as well. So La Nina is a system to watch both for the U.S. and South America. Yep, pretty much all through the Americas. It has less of an effect kind of over in Europe um, and, and Asia, but for the, for the U.S. all the way down through South America, you have a big player. All right, so we'll be talking more about that uh, certainly in the weeks and months ahead. But meanwhile, to finish out our harvest season through October, uh, you see pretty good harvest weather here in the U.S.? Yeah, we're going to probably continue to see that. I mean, we may get some disruptions every now and then, uh, but for the most part, we're, we're expecting... Oh, maybe on the cooler side, uh, especially on the front half of the month, but drier than normal. So um, producers should have no problems getting out into the finding time to get out in the fields here, uh, at least over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, still waiting in some areas for crops to dry down, and uh, sounds like they'll have that uh, good opportunity here if that weather forecast holds. There are a lot of talk about what kind of winter we may be facing uh, here in the U.S. What, what are your thoughts based on La Nina and patterns there? Yeah, La Nina is kind of our, our big shaper of it. So, uh, like I had mentioned, over the northern half of the U.S., colder and wetter with some clipper systems moving through and drier and uh, warmer in the south. Uh, you know, sometimes we'll get some things, you know, La Nina is not the only thing that impacts our weather throughout the course of the year. There's also some other uh, teleconnections. Uh, through uh, the Pacific Ocean and the Atlantic Ocean that could cause uh, disruptions in that. But for the most part here, we're looking at uh, a colder north, warmer south, and pretty much drier south and wetter north uh, all the way through this winter. So when people like myself will be complaining if we have a lot of snow this winter, we may be better be thankful for that moisture because it may be harder to come by next spring and into summer? Yeah, that could be, um, especially as we, we move away from La Nina and go more towards neutral. You see a lot more pockets of dryness pop up there in the spring. So some going to be a lot of, looks like to be haves and have-nots in the spring. Historically, how long does a La Nina last, and then what usually follows it? And a La Nina typically you know, lasts a season or two. 
uh, you know, anywhere between three to six months is typical. Um, it can last longer. It has and has lasted as long as 12 months before. Uh, but typically, usually what you'll, you'll see it kind of oscillate between La Nina and El Nino. So a La Nina this year may uh, indicate that we're headed towards a El Nino next summer and winter. Uh, but for the, for the most part here, models have a hard time of, of, of really capturing anything beyond six months. So um, as we head towards more of a, a neutral signal here in the spring, uh, it's kind of anybody's guess on, on what we'll see uh, for next season. Do we usually go from one into the other, or is there a typically a neutral period between? There's usually a neutral period in between, but it, it has been known to jump uh, kind of significantly at times. Uh, we've had years kind of oscillate right between going straight from a, a strong El Nino to a strong La Nina. We did that in the, in the late 90s, 97 and the 98. Uh, and we've done that before too. But typically there is a good uh, neutral period in between them uh, while the kind of the, the Atlantic or the Pacific Ocean kind of resets itself. All right, so we'll be uh, we'll be watching that closely. And for the folks out west, where the wildfires continue to rage, uh, any relief, any help from the weather for them? No, the coolness east of the Rockies means heat and dryness out in the west. So unfortunately for them, especially for the next couple of weeks here, I don't see any reason why that would change. So heat and dryness and uh, continued uh, terrible conditions for for fire weather. That's for sure. All right, John, thank you for the uh, update, the overview. Appreciate you being with us this week. Thank you. You're welcome, Mike. Have a good day. Okay, take care. John Baranek, DTM meteorologist, filling in for Bryce Anderson this week as we talk more and more about La Nina. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. We're going to talk about this Next Generation Fuels Act. Could that be uh, the next big move for the biofuels industry following the RFS? Could this be the next big one? What are its chances of passage, and when could that happen? And we also want to talk about a new study that is out, a study conducted by economists from the University of Florida and Arizona State, uh, this was published recently in the Journal of Agricultural and Food Industrial Organization, and it says that um, the biofuels industry, ethanol producers, will e- experience roughly $8 billion, with a B, $8 billion in losses this year due to the pandemic and impact on world fuel markets. We'll talk about that next with Jeff Cooper with the Renewable Fuels Association. Stay with us. This is AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. There's a reason more than a billion feet of ADS farm tile lies beneath America's heartland. It's simple. We build trust. Since 1966, farmers and their families have trusted ADS products to improve yields and create longer growing seasons. From lift stations to water control structures, ADS Agriculture has everything you need for total ag water management solutions. For everyone out there feeding the world, we wish you all a safe and happy harvest. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry. 
the pros and cons of issues important to you. Cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. A defensive tone to the grain and oil seed sector as we begin the trading week. USDA again not reporting any new flash sales of grain exports to China today. However, private exporters did report to USDA sales of 110,800 metric tons of corn for delivery to Japan, 218,300 metric tons of soybeans for delivery to unknown destinations, and over 207,000 metric tons of corn for delivery to unknown destinations. Corn futures an hour into the trading day, trending three to four and a fraction lower. December corn down four and a half at 360 and three quarters. November soybeans down nine at 993 and a half. Chicago wheat December contract down four and a quarter at 540 and a quarter. Kansas City wheat December down four at 471 and a quarter. Minneapolis spring wheat December down four and a half at 525 and a quarter cent. For livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures, we are 15 to 40 cents higher. Cattle on feed report Friday afternoon showing placements increasing 9% from year ago levels. October live cattle, 37 cents higher at 107.95. December up 12 at 111.52. Feeder cattle, November contract up 17 at 140.32. January down a nickel at 138.77. Clean hog futures, October 50 cents higher at 72.25. December down $1.15 at 63.27. On Wall Street, the Dow is up 500 points. NASDAQ up 116. S&P up 37. Crude up 11 cents a barrel. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. 
We have a lot to talk about with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, who joins us now. Jeff, thank you. Let's uh, start right off as we wait to see if Congress can come together on another COVID aid package. And, of course, then we'll wait to see what's in it for agriculture and if ethanol would be included. But meantime, you have some new economic data that uh, they should look at, and that shows the economic impact, the negative impact on the ethanol industry caused by COVID-19. Tell us about it. Well, that's right, Mike, and thanks for having me this morning. Uh, We did see just last week, late last week, uh, the publication of a new study uh, from some economists at the University of Florida and Arizona State University. Um, Not not typical Corn Belt, uh, you know, land-grant universities, um, looking at the impacts of COVID-19 on not just the ethanol sector, but also the corn industry and the oil and gas industry. Uh, and what they found through a very robust uh, economic analysis is that the ethanol industry is expected to lose uh, somewhere around $8 billion uh, in 2020 due to uh, the, the COVID-19 pandemic and the impact that it had on transportation fuel markets. So we think this is one more piece of evidence, uh, very strong evidence, and, and another data point that Congress should be paying attention to uh, as they continue to debate and, and negotiate on a potential uh, fourth coronavirus relief package, uh, we know this this week is really you know, pretty critical in, in whether we're going to see that fourth package or, or not uh, before everybody lets out for the elections. Yeah, we don't know if they can come to an agreement. We, and if they do, we don't know what will be in it for agriculture. And we don't know if ethanol would even be included if there is an ag component. That's right. It, it feels like they've got a very long way to go to answer some of those questions and, and not a lot of time to, to get there. Um, there's still a lot of distance between uh, the Democrats and Republicans on, on what should be in this package. They, they do appear to be getting a little closer together, and, and uh, uh, both parties seem to be moving a, a little more toward the middle, but there's still a big gap there in terms of what all should be included in this package and, and how big or, or how small it should be. Um, so we'll see where that goes, and, and we think there's going to be a lot of discussion this week, a lot of uh, hard conversations and, and debate, uh, and we're just hopeful that uh, the ethanol industry is, is uh, at the top of the list when it comes to discussions around agriculture and and what else can be done to provide some assistance to help get the ag sector and specifically the biofuel sector uh, fully back on its feet again. How concerned are you about comments by Secretary Purdue who's kind of made it sound like unless Congress tells him to specifically use money for the ethanol industry that if it's just kind of left money's put in his oversight discretion to how to use it it doesn't seem like he's inclined to use it for the ethanol industry. No, that's that's right, and we've heard that consistently from the secretary, uh, which is why we have gone to Congress and said, you know, look, um, simply uh, handing over uh, some discretion and 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 uh, you know, twenty billion dollars to the USDA and expecting that it's going to get distributed to the people who need it the most, um, you know, that's probably not going to happen based on things that the secretary has said and, and been very clear about. Um, we haven't seen ethanol included in, in CFAP or any of the other programs that USDA has already uh, begun to date. So uh, that's why we are appealing to Congress that, you know, the secretary is asking for specific and explicit direction on biofuels. So let's make sure they have it. Let's give it to them. 
Um, and uh, yeah, it's it. We don't dis, you know we, we don't agree with the secretary when he says that the USDA doesn't have the authority uh, to provide assistance to processors like ethanol producers. Uh, but that's the position of the department, so uh, that's why we're we're going the congressional uh, you know legislative route to provide that extra direction. We're talking with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. All right, we've had the introduction now of the Next Generation Fuels Act, uh, basically raising the octane level requirements in our fuel. Is this, Jeff, if passed, would it be a game changer for the biofuels industry? Is this like, uh, you know, we talk about CFAP 2.0. Would this be RFS yep. 2.0 in a way? Would this be the next, uh, the next big significant uh, uh, foundation for moving forward for the biofuels industry? Well, Mike, it would be a huge deal for the ethanol industry if this bill were to become law. Uh, because, as you said, it, it establishes a much higher minimum octane content for gasoline, uh, and it requires that that octane boost come from low-carbon sources. Uh, well, you look around, there's there really aren't many uh, octane boosters that can, can boost octane that much and reduce carbon emissions at the same time. Uh, ethanol is really the only game in town when it comes to providing both of those properties. So, yes, this could be a, a, a game-changer uh, in terms of, you know, what the next generation or the next chapter of, of transportation fuels policy looks like. Uh, and that's why we're very excited about the, this bill and, and its introduction. It's, it's forward-looking and it's bold and it's proactive and it's looking at the future. I mean, we've been, you know, this year has been all about reacting to COVID-19 and trying to stamp out the brush fires right in front of us. Uh, so it's very refreshing and a nice change of pace to be talking about what's next for the industry and, and what's the future that we want to create as an industry. Uh, so very, very excited about this bill from uh, Congresswoman Bustos and, and appreciative of her efforts there. Probably not going to go anywhere this year with all the else that's going on in the election year right. and now the Supreme Court, all that. But what are its chances, you think, into next year of getting passed? Well, yeah, it's it's safe to say, I think, that it will not become law uh, in this Congress. It and I don't think anyone was ever under that illusion. It's really meant to start a conversation and, and set the table uh, for some action in the next Congress. And I think it gives us a nice head start as we start thinking about that next chapter in, in fuels policy. Um, and we do think there's a very good chance that, uh, uh, that this bill and the concepts that are in the bill will be uh, front, front and center when it comes to discussing and, and debating uh, you know, the next big energy package in, in the House. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about a national low-carbon fuel standard, and, and there's, you know, there's been uh, Congressman Shimkus last year introduced a, a, a bill that would have raised the octane level in gasoline. So these issues have been discussed for some time in the, in the House, and we think this bill sort of pulls everything together in a very attractive way uh, that, that serves a lot of purposes, and, and we're very excited about its prospects of, of sort of um, you know, directing the conversation around these issues next year. At a time when you've got a state like California looking to move away from gasoline uh, engines. Yeah, and, you know, so Governor Newsom last week uh, put out this executive order that he wants 100% of new vehicles sold to be electric vehicles uh, by 2035. And, you know, we, we look at that and sort of scratch our head. I mean, uh, California already has 
a very successful uh, program when it comes to reducing carbon emissions from transportation. They have a low-carbon fuel standard. Uh, and ethanol has really helped the state meet its goals in reducing emissions. So I don't know why you would abandon that program and, and move to an EV mandate uh, when consumers in the state and across the country have said, we don't, you know, if, if we learn anything, it's that consumers want choice when it comes to their automobiles. Um, and we think that's just going to be a very unpopular move uh, by the governor. And, and, you know, frankly, we think his objectives, which we share, uh, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions could be achieved by doing more with, with the biofuels we already have available today and, and getting more ethanol into the blend uh, in the state of California. And so, yeah, a little bit of a, a head-scratcher move there in California, but uh, uh, not completely unexpected either given the you know, the attention and focus on electric vehicles lately. Is it too much of an uh, overstatement to say that the Next Generation Fuels Act becomes the next RFS, or does it replace the RFS, or does it move us beyond the RFS? How how would you characterize it if it is indeed enacted? Well, I think that's one of the big uh, questions that, that uh, will need to be answered, Mike, and, and, and how how this program would, would work with the renewable fuel standard or in lieu of the RFS, uh, you know, those are all things that, that need to be uh, hammered out as we move forward. Um, we're just uh, pleased to get, you know, really all of the things that we think need to happen for the future of the ethanol industry um, on paper in one piece of legislation, and that's what this uh, bill from Congresswoman Bustos does. So um, in terms of impact, yes, it could be, uh, every bit as significant or more uh, or more so than the renewable fuel standard when we talk about driving demand for ethanol uh, into the future. So, um, again, very exciting piece of legislation and, and absolutely a game changer if we were able to get it passed and, and, and into law. Then I wonder how long it would be before the oil industry would be seeking waivers from the Next Generation Fuels Act. <laughs> Well, probably not not too long, but you know that's that's an interesting point, though, Mike, because they uh, a lot of the refiners did support Congressman Shimkus's bill, which would have also required an increase in octane. It it didn't require the same extent of an increase that we're seeing with the Bustos bill. Um, but I think the refiners know. Look, uh, if we are going to compete with electric vehicles moving forward in a in a low carbon economy, um, they're going to need to blend more biofuels with with hydrocarbons. They're going to need to blend more ethanol with, with gasoline to, uh, to remain competitive uh, in, in a fuel market that puts a value on carbon reduction. So I do think there's some understanding of that amongst the oil guys. Uh, whether that drives them to the table or not, I think, uh, remains to be seen. It'll be interesting. Jeff, thanks a lot. Good to talk with you. Yeah, same here, Mike. Thanks for having me. Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Up next, we go to Nebraska for a harvest update. Stay with us on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. 
Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Andrew Bailey, National Pork Producers Council, Science and Technology Legal Council, funding for ag inspectors. Where does that stand? Well, unfortunately, um, that was uh, compensation for those, you know, appropriations for the uh, Customs and Border Protection ag inspectors was not included in the version of the continuing resolution that the House passed. Obviously, that still has to go to the Senate, um, and, and we're hoping that we can, you know, mobilize producers, not just pork producers, but all ag producers to contact their senators and say, uh, this is a this is an integral program. It's incredibly vital for American agriculture. There's a $1 trillion ag industry in America, and our first line of defense to keep uh, foreign diseases and pests out are those ag inspectors. And when that funding starts to dry up in the next couple of weeks, something's got to be done to keep them on the job and not furloughed. I wish I had better news on that, but we're still fighting the good fight. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. When it comes to powering your diesel equipment, Diesel X Gold from FS outshines all the rest. Diesel X Gold has been reformulated to restore lost power with new detergency that cleans up and prevents sticky internal injector deposits and traditional carbon deposits. So when you need more power to work the fields or drive down the highway, fuel your equipment with Diesel X Gold from FS. Contact your local FS energy specialist today and power your equipment with Diesel X Gold. Absolutely the best fuel to power and protect diesel engines. Visit GoFurtherWithFS.com for more information. There's a reason more than a billion feet of ADS farm tile lies beneath America's heartland. It's simple. We build trust. Since 1966, farmers and their families have trusted ADS products to improve yields and create longer growing seasons. From lift stations to water control structures, ADS Agriculture has everything you need for total ag water management solutions. For everyone out there feeding the world, we wish you all a safe and happy harvest. 
Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Let's get a harvest update from eastern Nebraska. Greg Anderson is a soybean grower in that part of the world. Greg, good to talk with you again. How much do you have done? Well, Mike, uh, you know, really coming along very well. The harvest window is wide open here in eastern Nebraska. It's been that way for the last couple of weeks. We had a nice uh, rain event there earlier in September, which really set up things nice uh, for harvest. And after that, uh, you know, the faucet <laughs> shut off. And the, the skies have cleared, and it's just been go, go, go ever since. The uh, drier weather in August really accelerated development of these crops and uh, really brought them to maturity a little bit quicker. And so for the last couple of weeks, actually, I've been rolling, and uh, I am well over half done and moving along toward probably a record finish here uh, if everything uh, keeps going well. So you didn't get any rain over the weekend to slow you down? Just a little bit on, uh, let's see, Sunday morning, about five hundred, five ten hundredths of, of rain, which uh, kind of just softened things up a little bit. I know some guys were going uh, yesterday a bit, and then today uh, full strength again. So uh, we kind of welcome those showers, though, in between. It keeps the moisture levels in the beans a little bit higher and, of course, keeps the fire danger down as well. Okay, so it's moving along quickly. Are you happy with the yields? Well, yes and no, Mike. You know, at the end of uh, July, early August there, it just couldn't look better in this part of the state. Everything was just on par to if we even had normal rainfall in August, this was going to be a tremendous bean crop. However, uh, the rains did not materialize. We had several rain event chances that just didn't happen. And I ended up in August with just a little over one inch of rain. would like to have like five times that. So on these dryland uh, bean fields, the yields uh, aren't uh, the top end, like we've enjoyed the last uh, few years, I, I think they're probably five to ten bushel an acre less than uh, we normally would get on a on a banner year. However, they did hold up a little bit better than I thought. I think uh, fertility certainly helps that, and the abundant rains that we had through the summer, we had a good soil profile, uh, moisture level that uh, the crops uh, did draw down on that that month of August, and so it could be a lot worse. However. Uh, we are seeing uh, bean yields down a bit. And then the corn, uh, it's just a little bit too early to tell, but from what I can indicate, uh, neighbors tell me and the way it looks, that uh, corn are going to be pretty stout. I believe 
uh, you know, July is kind of when corn is made, August is when beans are made, and uh, the corn uh, is going to be pretty decent, I believe. Yeah, so I think that's the question we're still finding the answers to. Uh, how much did we lose in that dry August? Exactly, and you know, if you ever want to, to get rain at a critical time, August is it. That's when the beans are, are setting on and, and the seed size is determined. I've seen a smaller seed uh, size in just about every field that I've been in. However, the test weight has been up uh, very nicely, so that kind of helps compensate a bit. But uh, those top-level uh, pods usually that used to be clusters and on a good year would have, you know, three, even four beans per pod or, or down to two or three beans per pod, and they're a little bit smaller than normal. So that all takes into account uh, for the final yield. Any disease problems? Not uh, particularly that I've seen. Uh, certainly no white mold, which has kind of been a nemesis throughout this part of the state. And I'll be testing for SEN here uh, after harvest and to see if there's any of those uh, you know, egg counts, uh, see what those levels are. Uh, I've been escaping that uh, very well. So far, so good. But you want to keep on top of all those things. I did spray fungicide at R3. I think that helped tremendously, even with the drier weather. I think it helped keep the plants uh, a little bit greener, a little bit longer, so that they could uh, take advantage of all that moisture that they did receive. And as we've pointed out to people before, you plant all soybeans every year, and uh, that's worked for you. It has, and I'm the first to say it's probably not for everybody, but I think it would work work for most people. I just uh, pay close attention to soil fertility. Uh, that is really number one, for, first and foremost, in my plan of action and then a number of other things that a lot of soybean farmers uh, do uh, already, uh, fungicide at R3, uh, seed treatment at planting, plant early, take advantage of those lengthening uh, daylight hours, and then look for those high-yielding uh, and disease-resistant uh, varieties that will stand up uh, in dry land conditions. And, of course, you've sold it all for above $10, right? <laughs> well, you know, we we didn't uh, really see this uh, price spike coming, uh, which we uh, were able to capture some of that uh, in the local area here. Cash bids, you know, nine fifty, nine sixty five, I think, kind of topped out. And now, this last week, it's it's fallen off. And I understand today it's down some a little bit as, as well. You know, it's going to be up and down, and uh, hopefully, the demand for soybeans uh, uh, globally will keep our market. Uh, uh, going and uh, we've, we've seen really good demand uh, along those lines and it just kind of all comes back to weather whether here in north america whether in south america uh, the chinese buying uh, just a host of factors enter into that but hopefully everybody can uh, market their beans at a profitable level uh, you know back in the late july it didn't look so good uh, cash beans were actually under eight dollars here and that just uh, won't pencil out but uh, when you get them above nine and, and marching towards ten well then you can kind of make things work so, uh, as you said earlier about corn, uh, your neighbors, are they uh, moving right along with their corn harvest? Yeah, surprisingly, you know, even late September here, usually that doesn't happen until uh, you get into October. But there had been some uh, fields taken out, especially some dry land uh, uh, fields, uh, some dry land corners on pivoted, uh, pivot to irrigated circles and that type of thing. I think they're finding... Uh, uh, you know, yields are pretty pretty decent, and uh, the moisture level. Maybe some are waiting just for that to dry down a little bit. I think we're going to have uh, some some frost here later uh, this week. They're talking maybe Thursday night, Friday morning in this part of the state, which would be the first uh, 
light frost. I don't think they're talking a hard freeze. And we're going to have some uh, sunshine and wind, which will help uh, accelerate some dry down too. So uh, there are uh, corn stalks that are still green in places and some that uh, you know look like they're uh, ready for harvest. So it kind of depends on the variety, the maturity, and just when they plant it. All right, Greg, good to talk with you. Have a safe uh, rest of your harvest, and uh, we'll check back in with you when you're closer to done. Thanks a lot. Hey, thank you, Mike. Great to talk with you. Take care. Greg Anderson, soybean farmer in eastern Nebraska. That wraps it up for today. Thanks for joining us. Stay safe, everyone. Be with us again tomorrow on AOA. AOA.